Bueller. Bueller. Today, I'm from A to Ziggy, the Bueller Brothers. Welcome to From A to Ziggy, the podcast where we listen to every single David Bowie song in alphabetical order and discuss them. And today, it's the Bewley Brothers. Today, it's a momentous occasion. Yes. This is the song that we've all been waiting for. My name is Thomas. And I am Travis. Am I the, so, did I get so excited about Bewley Brothers that I completely forgot to mention who we even are? No, we're doing, we're doing uh, a kind of a... A mixed up, jumbled kind of order in honor of the stream of consciousness. The mixed up, jumbled wonderfulness. That is the song. So this is the the closer, the finale on Hunky Dory. Oh, where to begin? All right, Hunky Dory, Hunky Dory, seventy one. Very gutsy album. It was like he was still, you know, finding his footing. Had just put out the super, super heavy Man Who Sold the World and then follows it up with this, I would I would dare to say, at times, sparse album. It's singer-songwriter Bowie. Yeah. With a couple kind of vamped up songs. Yeah. Mixed in, sprinkled in there. And this was one of the quieter moments. And it's a really neat finale to like follow the frantic energy of Queen Bitch with this like really mellowed out. Oh, does it come right after Queen Bitch? Yeah. Queen Beep. Queen Beep. Queen B. Beyonce. It's funny, yeah, I always, I never think of it as the last track, because I always listen to the uh, special edition with all the bonus tracks afterwards. I never actually listened to it on in the context that you would have originally, where this is the last song. So this album and um, Ziggy Stardust actually were recorded at the same time, and so all these songs are kind of being recorded simultaneously and then you know allocated to different albums that would come out at different times but they weren't made in the sequence all the hunky dory songs so all the ziggy stardust songs and that actually makes me feel less of like a, a an unknowledgeable person because like there were times where i'd be like oh i want to listen to this one specific song and not remember if it was on hunky dory or ziggy stardust yeah right because it's got a lot of the same band members yeah similar features yeah to the songs so this was so then Hunky Dory became the kind of singer songwriter Bowie the Bowie trying to prove himself as a singer songwriter, and then uh, Ziggy Stardust was you know the big glam rock star uh, album yeah all from the same sessions and this this is definitely not Ziggy Stardust no. material this is songwriter serious introspective contemplative stuff yeah. What's this song about? Um, so, despite it's very... It, it's one of those songs that was open to quite a bit of interpretation for a while, because it is very all over the place. But then he uh, he had revealed in an interview that a lot of the lyrics were, in fact, inspired by his brother, which was a common theme in that era for him. Much of The Man Who Sold the World has allusions to him on it. So there's, what, uh, All the Mad Men... And to some extent, after all, this song has that it, not only like the lyrics kind of abstract and kind of capture what he what he's interpreting schizophrenia to be like. It also has that similar. He does a good job of, of showing what he thinks it feels like by both the lyrics and the directions that the song takes. Because hmm. this is a pretty straightforward well, for as abstract song lyrically that it's a very straightforward song until the last 
was a minute. Oh, the out of the coda. Yeah, and it just kind of veers off into this weird chanty children's song. Yeah, let's 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 go straight to the coda. Let's start backwards. Yeah, let's. So it ends. Back when one point in. It ends. It ends with this coda with the very speed vocals, kind of reminiscent of Laughing Gnome, and they're all saying, "Please come away," right? As in maybe please come away uh, with all the madmen, you know, kind of like a summoning towards an escapism. Yeah, yeah. It's got that kind of uh, Zane, 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 Ouvre Le Chain feel to it. So yeah, maybe it is about Terry Burns. So the, uh, really in the second verse, it becomes a little bit more, like the first verse, it's weird, like it kind of changes like the, it's second or third person in the first verse, and then the first verse, or in the second verse, it's kind of more of a first person. Hmm. Or like, it seems like he's talking about these Bewley brothers, and then in the second verse, like he and his brother are the Bewley brothers. And that's when it really starts to feel like he is talking about his brother, hmm. and he's talking about, you know, I was stoned and he was waxed, so he could scream and still relax, unbelievable, and we frightened the small children away. Because, yeah, kids, I mean, they had no idea what was going on. Like, no one knew anything about schizophrenia then. Hmm. So, and if he was having some kind of episode, I'm sure it freaked all the children out. But, you know, because David Bowie was so used to him, you know, it didn't frighten them. Hmm. So, the, I mean, the song is called The Bewley Brothers, like the Bowie Brothers. Yeah. And so, and he got the name just from a, a pipe he used to smoke. It was a Bewley brand pipe. Yeah, there's a, there was a tobacconist in the London area called the Bewley Brothers. But it's not just a clever name. It's also, you know, kind of the subject of the song. There's bits of the song that specifically talk about my brother. There's a line, my brother lays upon the rocks. He could be dead. He could be not. Someone suggested, I think it was uh, Nicholas Pegg suggested that that could be Terry Burns in the middle of a schizophrenic seizure, just sort of seizing up and, yeah. and uh, lying still. I was stone and he was wax. It's also also from the uh, second stanza, I think, second verse. That could be about their relative states of emotional fortitude, like uh, Terry being wax, being very. Uh, he was he was Bowie's sort of conduit towards the greater cultural movement of the beat poets and writing like uh, Kerouac and that kind of thing, and science fiction steered Bowie towards all that kind of stuff, and so David got all that stuff from Terry. Terry was kind of like the more impressionable, softer material, and David was the stone. Terry was wax. A commenter on um, Chris O'Leary's blog also mentioned that maybe the, um, the internal rhymes, there's a lot of internal rhyme going on in here, and a lot of alliteration. So like, the story goes, they wore the clothes, sold the things, their heads of brawn were nicer shorn, which, if you're British, also rhymes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, there's a lot of internal rhyme, and, and uh, they suggested that might be kind of like one of the symptoms of schizophrenia, which is called clang, C-L-A-N-G, clang. It's, it's where you group meaningless words that sound similar or rhyme, and you string them together into uh, meaningless phrases, weird phrases, strange phrases. And a lot of the stream of consciousness lyrics kind of have that same flavor. So there's a lot of there's a lot of Bowie's brother in there. Anything else about Terry Burns? Mm-hmm. Because uh, much like quantum theory, the uh, the interpretation of this song depends on 
how you look at it. So there's there's different ways of of interpreting the song. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of room for interpretation. To coin a phrase. <laughs> Think of a word there. To coin a phrase. Yeah. There's a lot of um, I don't know room for interpretation because uh, other people have interpreted as having a gay subtext. Yeah. Other people see a lot of drugs in there. Someone suggested that maybe it's a commentary on the Beatles, um, kind of dis- dismissing their, or uh, semi, semi in homage, but semi kind of uh, dismissing theirs. My, before I really looked at the lyrics and read the interviews and everything, when I, just from listening to the album, I always interpreted it as talking about closing the door on that period of time musically. Where what period of time? Like the late sixties, I guess the acid movement um, uh, and the, the folk, acid and the psychedelic movement. Folk. Yeah, and primarily just like the the. And he's talking about when we were gone. We were so turned on. It was just that made me think of just like it's the phrasing that, really. That, that sounds like drugs. That does sound like talk about drugs about looking back on those hippie years and how we were so we were gone and we were so turned on and we were. It kind of like, feels like this this saying goodbye to this like '60s idealism and getting ready for whatever realities the '70s have to hold. Hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of this. This occurs. This reoccurs in in Bowie's work. Every decade, there's kind of a so long to the previous decade, hello new decade. Kind yeah. Of intro. So this is sort of the goodbye '60s, hello '70s. Yeah. It really could have fit on. Man Who Sold the World if it was heavier. It feels like it was just left off because it was, wasn't heavy enough, was, I believe, the quote that was on there on, on Pushing Head of the Dame. Interesting. And that album, I mean, I guess it's mostly just because of the imagery, the lyrics, and all the allusions to his brother. Because the rest of Hunky Dory, I mean, some songs that have kind of out there lyrics, but like it's it's less abstract than this song. Here's an interesting thing about, about Hunky Dory is some people talk about side B of Hunky Dory as being about Bowie's influence. Yeah. Being sort of homages to Bowie's Bob Dylan and Velvet Underground. Yeah. The first song on the second side is a cover, Fill Your Heart. And so the, the, the sequence of songs goes in order of the level of influence that each of those, that the respective subjects had on Bowie. So Fill Your Heart is a cover. So there's some influence there, but superficial. Yeah. Andy Warhol, Bowie was interested in the uh, the whole stardom thing. He met Andy, but didn't really form a friendship with him. Bob Dylan obviously influenced his uh, sort of songwriting ethos. And uh, Qu- Queen Bitch was basically a Mark Bolan song. I think it was written for Mark Bolan. Or, no, Lou Reed. And then the Bewley Brothers, the ultimate homage yeah. to his greatest, the greatest influence in his young life, his brother who again, like introduced him to all these genres of literature and poetry, the subculture that he wouldn't have experienced in school. Speaking of Lou Reed, there was a really interesting interview or snippet where uh, Lou Reed is talking to music critic Lester Bangs. And Lester Bangs says something about having gone to see Bowie and... uh, he tells Lou Reed that he ripped off all your riffs, obviously. And Lou Reed says, everybody steals riffs, you steal yours. David wrote some really great songs. Lester Banks says, oh, come on, anybody can write great songs. Sam the Sham wrote great songs. Did David write anything better than Wooly Bully? Which, let's just focus on that for a moment. That at this point, he had put out, he had at least put out 
Man Who Stole the World and Hunky Dory was in existence. So theoretically, this Lester Banks had listened to Hunky Dory and deemed that nothing on that album, not even Life on Mars, is better than Wooly Bully. <laughs> and this is like the, if you ask someone who knows a lot about music, and they can only name one music critic who's ever lived. It's Lester Banks. He's like a very mu- famous music critic, like a tastemaker of his time. And he's like, he heard Hunky Dory and was like, this is no Wooly Bully. So he asked, did David write anything better than Wooly Bully? And Lou Reed responded, you ever listen to the Bewley Brothers? <laughs> I like the end of that. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's not like David Bowie was hiding that he was nicking things from other artists. Like, he... Yeah, right. He was pretty open about it. I mean, at the time, Bowie was kind of seen as a one-hit wonder. But even his one hit, Space Oddity, is better than Wooly Bully. Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, yeah absolutely. <laughs> there was like a short period of time in my life where I liked Wooly Bully more than Space Oddity. And I was like nine or ten years old. <laughs> because Wooly Bully is a fun song when you're nine or ten years old. And Space Oddity is terrifying at that age. And then you turn like 11 and you realize that no, this song is considerably better than this song. Although Space Oddity never got a chance to be the uh, the inspiration for a uh, a Little Caesars pizza commercial. That's true. Yet. So it does have that distinction. So I wanted to bring up some of the other interpretations of the song. There's the uh, gay life in New York kind of interpretation among hustlers and prostitutes in Greenwich Village. Apparently the phrases, real cool traders in the Crutch Hungry Dark come from that scene. And Bowie was hanging out at the Sombrero with his buddy Freddie Beretti, just sort of absorbing that scene. So some of the gay themes in this song have to do with trying to live your life, but also having to hide it, having to make it a secret, yeah. being closeted. It says that they wore the clothes and said the things to make it seem improbable, the whale of a lie like they hope it was. Um, like, you know, you have to conform, especially in London, where not too long ago it had been illegal to be gay. Um, punishable by chemical castration. So yeah, there's a lot of pressure to conform. And then there's the bit about the, the dress was hung later on, and it talks about the factor max, which I guess if you swap the words, it's supposed to be max factor, like makeup. Oh! Yeah. Was yeah, that's s- right by me. What's the line exactly? The factor max that proved the fact is melted down, woven on the edging of my pillow. So it's just sort of like smeared on the pillow after sleeping on it. And then also the st- I was stone and he was wax uh, also kind of plays into that. He could be dead, he could be not. We talked about that before. It could be like a post-coital thing. Yeah. Like, uh, for instance, that, that old French phrase... La petite morte. <laughs> right? <clears throat> so yeah, there's, there's that. And then there's also the whole drug angle. We were so turned on, like you said. We were in the Mind Warp Pavilion, which is a great... Oh, that's a... Oh, God, such a great phrase. The Mind Warp Pavilion. God. I wish 23-year-old me had known that phrase. He mentions that uh, dust would flow through our veins. I don't know if that has anything to do with... Um, Naked Lunch, uh, William S. Burroughs, of course, was a big influence on Bowie. But, uh, well, there was another book that Burroughs did that had to do with this bug powder that the character would spread to kill roaches. But that bug powder was also a drug, and he, so he would take the drug and get high off of this roach poison. <laughs> so I don't, I, but I don't know if it had Yeah, I mean, it could even just be as simple as cocaine. Yeah, dust, yeah. heroin. Shooting up, pie in the sky, there's that. 
something like that. Yeah. I don't think Bowie ever did any heroin. There were rumors that he did anything about him doing it. I mean, Major Tom was a junkie, as we learned. Yeah. In a previous episode, but I don't think Bowie was. So I don't. I don't really think there's that much to the drug interpretation. Yeah. Because there's a lot of other. There's a lot of other things, especially in that second verse, which I think has a lot to, more to do with religious and occult rituals. So that second verse is the most interesting one to me. There's uh, like the grim face on the cathedral floor and the solid book we wrote. It's like some sort of occult text. Yeah. Or like putting down ideas. So they, they're, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk going on. There's a lot of discussion between the two brothers. There's just like they're, they're forming this creed this system of thought through their discussions. And theoretically, there's a book about it, but it's, it's really just in their heads, so it can't be found. With our backs on the arch, that kind of also seems like a uh, structural... Like a church thing. door. Like a church yeah. door, yeah, like, like an arch. And the devil may be here. I don't know, there, there, there just seems to be a lot of... There's like, a lot of religious subtext to that. Kind of thing. And then the third verse also has a lot of the gay imagery which can also be interpreted as leading to Terry Burns, which, and that's, and so that's, that's ultimately the beauty of this song. Yeah. It has all these facets. To and it. there's a, there was a really interesting, I can't remember if it was on pushing out of the dam or on wiki. Someone else had interpreted it as being about one person, just like a split personality. Almost the like two, a, the two brothers would be the, yeah. Almost like a fight club situation. Hmm. Spoiler um, alert. Spoiler just so you, in case anyone hasn't seen this like 17-year-old movie, they're both the same person. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> listener. But uh, yeah, so they mentioned that it could be two sides of a fractured personality, kind of like a fight club kind of thing. And in an interview in 2000, Bowie said, um, I was never really quite sure what position Terry had in my life, whether Terry was a real person or whether I was actually refer- referring to another part of me. I mean, obviously he was a real person. But he meant that much. He meant so much to Bo. He was that much of an influence on Bo's yeah. personality. And maybe he was David wondering Jones's how much of how much of it was Terry and how much of it was him projecting himself yeah. off of Terry. Yeah, like you form you form a little homunculus of of a person in your memory. Yeah, when you know that person well, and so how much of your memory of a person is really that person or how, and how much of it is your projection yeah. onto yourself. So it is very possible that like it is, that there is a little bit of him projecting himself onto his brother. Like the influence is there all along and he needed his brother to bring it out of him. Hmm. In, in a similar way, this song itself is sort of a kaleidoscope of imagery and illusions that you can project your own interpretation of onto mm-hmm. and and get something different out of. And those are the best kinds of songs. Those are the best kind of songs. It's like Koyanis Katsi the song. If I that that there's a whole train of thought <laughs> that led to that that I was thinking of recently. Uh, just ignore that. Um, covers, alternate versions. I didn't see anything from any names that I recognized. Yeah, I mean, I, I found some on YouTube, Spotify, but uh, there was that tribute show in New York. Yes. Where Kip Malone. Oh, yes. Of TV on the radio, right? It was Kip Malone, and he introduced his friend Greg Erston on guitar, which was a good one. He did it, he did it sort of soft. Yeah. Peter Murphy's done it in live performances. Peter Murphy of Bauhaus. And Bowie's done it live only a few times 
really. Yeah, it's just, and he had never done it before. It was 2002 was the first time he ever played it live. Yeah. Uh, which is unbelievable to me because it's such a great song and it's not exactly a hard song to pull off live. It's very, you know, it doesn't have some sort of elaborate produ- you know, production that prevents Ex- you from doing it live. <laughs> Except for the lyrics. Except for the lyrics. Which, which he introduced, he said that it, uh, there's... There's a reason he hasn't performed it live, and it's that there he, he holds up the lyric sheet that he keeps with him. He says, there's more words in this than there are in Tolstoy's War and Peace. <laughs> um, anything else about this song? Um, I think we hit all the points. So I guess we'll do the, uh, what I assume will be very anticlimactic <laughs> judging of Beauty Brothers. So here's what I'm going to give this song. I give this song... Five dwarf men, and those five dwarf men are all giving two thumbs up while they're hanging out. They're all just, yeah they're hanging out with the dwarf men. Yep. Are they hanging out of windows with their thumbs up? Is and yet, and, but for some reason, there's still a lack of conclusions, even though they're very clearly enthusiastic about this song. <laughs> uh, I never skip this song, but I never I never reach for it either. I'm conflicted. I like this song. I appreciate its. Uh, its value. So I don't know whether it deserves a four or a five. I like it. I I would never skip it. Yeah. It's got a great sound that I like to wash over me. But I'm never saying to myself, self, I want to listen to the Beauty Brothers. <laughs> um, so I'd give it four Dwarfmen. Yeah. Not four and a half. Not four and a half. Not That's four good. and a quarter. That would, that would be savage of you. <laughs> Um, Four Dwarfmen. Yeah. Also both giving two thumbs up, because I, I do appreciate the song. But Of course, now I've left myself, I, I don't know where the bar is going to be to go, because I know for a fact there are other songs that I do like better than this one actually on this album. <laughs> so I will have to create more different metrics, but it's, it's, really, it's just such a great song. And I'm, I'm similar to you. I don't ever, if I'm going on Spotify and I pull up Hunky Dory... There's like four or five songs I'll put on before I put on this song. Oh, maybe not that. This is probably like third or fourth in my like, I need to hear a few Hunky Dory songs right now cue. But then whenever it's on, it's like, why don't I put this song on more often? It really is just like, it, yeah, it's a, it washes over you and it makes you feel wistful. Like I find myself kind of thinking back to my my old neighborhood friends when I listen to this song, even though we weren't like sitting around dropping acid and talking about the world. We were just riding our bikes and... It's a really nostalgic song. It's a really nostalgic song. It makes you just like, like if you were on the bus and this came on, you'd be staring out the window, contemplating life. Yeah. Listening to the song, but not like sad contemplating life. Like really just like opening scene of waking life contemplating. Yeah. Well, I think that does it for, uh, for the Beaulieu brothers. Yeah, We've covered as much of that as we can. So now I guess we'll much thanks single, to uh, next, next we have to single out the big brother. Much thanks to Bowie. Uh, and especially thanks to his the the inspiration for this for this song Terry Burns his big brother uh, that's much better than mine which <laughs> so much better than mine <laughs> which uh, incidentally is the next is song. the next song uh, the next um, song we're gonna cover is Big Brother yeah um, slightly less about his actual big brother <laughs> oh yeah we'll, we'll save it we'll, we'll save that uh, join us next time for. Big Brother. Until then, you can follow us on Facebook and on Twitter from A to Ziggy. From A to Ziggy.com, you can leave a comment on the page for this episode. What did you think of the Beaulieu Brothers? 
you want to be a guest on your favorite David Bowie podcast that talks about his work from A to Z, email us podcast from A to Ziggy.com. What else? Actually, you know what? I'm gonna let's try to I'm gonna see if we can find like quantify how many people listen to this. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and issue a challenge. Oh god. For the comments on this song. Oh god. So no 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 it's not it's nothing bad. It's nothing bad. We're gonna I get like three comments. We're gonna get zero comments. I hope. Oh god. Oh, I hope at least at least. Oh, please, at least one person comment. Because I'm curious. Here's here's the quote unquote homework. What did this in the comments put? What this made you wistful for when you were listening to this song? But listen to this song after listening to the podcast, and just in the comments, what did it make you wistful for? If this is a nostalgic, wistful song, yeah. What does it? What imagery? What? What memories does What is this song conjuring for you, listener? Hopefully listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Leave us a comment. Uh, let us know what you thought. What else? Until um, then. You were start, I think I cut you off as you were talking about the iTunes. Was I? Oh, yes. This is the important thing. I You're right. The most important thing is that you subscribe in iTunes to our podcast feed. Because that's, that's one way that we can measure how well we're doing and how popular we are because really listener that's all that matters in the world is how popular Mm -hmm. you are and uh it'll really help us get noticed and get more get more attention that's that's really the second most important thing is is getting lots of attention subscribe leave us a rating if you choose if you uh if you think that you would give a five-star rating do leave a five-star rating if you think you'd give less than a five-star rating maybe rethink it maybe just you know go to five automatically yeah what else until then i'm thomas and i'm travis and and we're gone and you were so turned on we will see you in the mind warp pavilion soy-based things. Is that why it's called Soylent? I think so. I really hope so. It seems like a really bad idea. It's a terrible idea all around. Just completely horrible idea, whether there's soy in it or not. It's it's almost like whoever it, they have for their marketing just has never seen yeah. the movie. Either they've never seen the movie or they've seen it and they're banking on other people not having seen it. Or having seen it and uh, thinking it's hilarious. Yeah. This episode brought to you by Soylent. <laughs>